0: This is Gulf Coast Life. I'm Mike canary Thanks for joining us. Ty Sigley served in the U.S. Army for 36 years, retiring as a brigadier general in 2020. He taught history at West Point for two decades and is now professor emeritus there. General Sigley served as vice chair for the Congressional Naming Commission that was tasked by Congress in 2021 to rename Department of Defense assets that honor Confederates, including military bases in the South. These days, he's an author and teaches history at Hamilton College in upstate New York. In his latest book, Robert E. Lee and Me, A Southerner's Reckoning with the Myth of the Lost Cause, General Sigily writes about growing up in Virginia revering Confederate General Robert E. Lee. He says that from his Southern childhood to the time he spent serving in the U.S. Army, every part of his life reinforced the lost cause myth that Lee was the greatest man who ever lived and that the Confederates were underdogs who lost the Civil War with honor. Once he began to deeply researching the history of the Civil War and gaining a full understanding of just how wrong that myth was, General Sigley began speaking up. He was on the Florida Gulf Coast University campus last week to give a presentation for the university lecture series, so we brought him by the studio for a conversation about his book and to hear his story. General Sigley, welcome to Gulf Coast Life and welcome to Lee County. Thanks, Mike. It's great to be here. So, what did Robert E. Lee represent to you as a child and how present was he in your life and culture as a kid growing up?
1: Omnipresent.
0: I mean, he was uh, the greatest human that ever
1: lived and, and sort of on the spinal tap scale, you know, of one to 10, Lee would have been an 11. And even though I went to church every Sunday as a good Episcopalian, Jesus would have been about a six. So it wasn't just that I thought he was a good man. It was reverential.
0: Did you brush up against any people as a child who didn't feel that way, or were you completely insulated? Completely insulated. Uh, You know, I was—just to to show you, uh, just an example
1: of that, Uh, I knew descendants of Lee that my dad taught in the high school— I was bussed across town from the white elementary school to the black elementary school, and the black elementary school was named Robert E. Lee Elementary School. So every aspect of my being as a kid said that this was the the epitome of to be a Southern gentleman. That's what I wanted to be,
0: a Virginia gentleman, a Southern gentleman. That was status. It was power. And Lee represented that. You're a history professor, so you must have studied history along your academic path. At what point did the truth about Lee and his actions and the Civil War start to enter your perspective?
1: Way too late. I mean, I I went to grad school, uh, I got my PhD in history, and I didn't really study the Civil War as much there, but I did understand that the Civil War was about slavery. But I could still somehow Worship Lee, and then when I got to West Point, I I spent 20 years at West Point, and I wondered why I was living on Lee Road, at Lee Gate, in Lee Housing Area by Lee Child Development Center, and Lee Barracks—all these things named after Lee at West Point, the United States Military Academy. And when I did that, I said, "Why is this?" And so, historian, I went to the archives, and what I found was that between in in the 19th century, between 1865 and say 1898, that Lee was banished as a traitor. And that really changed my mind, is that he violated Article 3, Section 3 of the Constitution, which says there's only one crime in the Constitution. It's levying war against the United States. So that made me think, huh. And then I think, well, when did all these monuments to Lee come at West Point? And they came in the 1930s and 1950s and the 1970s, and it was a reaction to integration. And that just ticked me off to think that many of these Confederate memorials were either a, a something to to celebrate the fact that whites were back in power in the South, and that's 1890 to 1920, or after World War II as a reaction to integration. And so those things just made me so angry, um, and that really led me to write more and more about it.
0: Um, What were, and maybe now are, cadets at West Point taught about the Civil War? Yeah, a
1: lot different than when we first, than I first started in the 90s, and certainly way different than the 1960s. And we start, and I was head of the history department there, we start with saying, what is this cruel war about? What is the war about? And it's really clear that the white South went to war to expand and protect the institution of slavery. And we just got to understand how miserably horrible that institution was. Um, Most white men had their first sexual experience with an enslaved woman. People that have their, trace their ancestry to the enslaved era, have about 20 percent european dna because rape was so ubiquitous they broke apart families husband from wife children from mother so it was it was just awful awful Uh, and we make sure that cadets know about that we do talk about the operational history you know the x's and o's of military history but we always make sure that it's grounded in the fact that this war was about one group of people who wanted to fight to protect and expand slavery and destroy the united states
0: uh, as a part of that and that's the modern teaching, though. But in the past, that was not part no, of the teaching. it was not. And so, you know, if you
1: look back in the 60s and 70s, and even when I first started in the 90s, it was often this this idea that it was blue and gray, Johnny Reb, Billy Yank. It was about fighting at Gettysburg. So you would only look at the battles. Mm-hmm. And if you only looked at the battles, then you would think that they were equal size, but one loss, one won, but blue and gray were equal. But these weren't equal. This was the United States of America fighting against an insurrectionist power, insurrectionists, that would not accept the results of a democratic election. So that's what we do now is to see that as the United States, not the union, but the United States, fighting against an insurrectionist force, the Confederates. And remember, it was the white folks of the South. There were 4 million black people in the South that certainly would have been against this, uh, but had no vote, had no
0: voice. Why did you decide to write this book? Did you have some sort of a, a moment of clarity that said, you know, I'm going to put this down, I'm going to do some research?
1: Well, I, I it started when I was uh, I was chair of the memorialization committee at West Point. and And when we were, we were, I had this idea to recognize all the 1,500 plus graduates who, in Lincoln's word, gave the last full measure of devotion to the nation, who died in combat. And as I got that all together, I said, you know, Confederate graduates who died in gray shouldn't go in there because they fought to destroy their country, they abrogated their oath, they killed U.S. Army soldiers to create a slave republic. And I gave this message to our senior leaders at West Point and they said, no, we wanna put the Confederates in there. And I could not believe that my brilliant argument <laughs> didn't work. So I went home to talk to my wife and she said, well, Ty, the only way this is going to work is if you tell your story first. So that made me think, if I, only, if I tell my story and say that I grew up with all these lies, that maybe I would be able to convince other people. And so I did that. And then I gave another talk at my alma mater, Washington and Lee University, where I called Lee a traitor for slavery, really standing on his above his grave. And I got a standing ovation for that. So I knew that if I could tell my own story first,
0: that maybe other people would would uh, would believe me. Did you get pushback as you were putting the book together? I mean, oh, from, gosh. from people who you knew or people you know online or or anything like that. Yeah,
1: I, I did a video maybe seven years ago for a conservative organization, PragerU, and it's had like thirty five million views. It went it viral, and I said the Civil War was about slavery, that the White South went to war to protect and expand this repugnant institution. And not only did I get death threats to my West Point email, but the Army investigated me for political speech for saying the Civil War was about slavery. I got in trouble with with the senior leaders at West Point. So I knew that history is dangerous. It's dangerous because it goes after our myths and our identity. And when somebody does that, the reaction can be ferocious. And to this day, I had to take my uh, phone number off my college website. I'm at Hamilton College in upstate New York because I was getting so many nasty phone calls. So yeah, I get it all the time. But hey, that is okay. It means that I'm, I'm saying this often enough, uh, loudly enough, and straight enough uh, to make some people uncomfortable. And uncomfortable is You know, we Americans can handle uncomfortable. We're
0: not made out of cotton candy. We can handle uncomfortable. Explain the documentation that proves that the Civil War was about slavery. Because you hear a lot of arguments, but there are documents, there are speeches that were made that put it right there in writing, and there's no dispute. There's
1: no dispute. So if you look at the secession declarations or the conventions that the white Southerners had when they they did this, when they did this, they wrote, like the state of Mississippi, my father's home state, uh, said that we are fighting for the benefits of African slavery Uh, South Carolina mentioned slavery 17 times in there they mentioned tariffs not once they don't mention any of that they mentioned states' rights to have slaves. You look at the Constitution of the Confederates. There's only one major difference, and that's slavery is guaranteed in that Constitution. It wasn't in the U.S. Constitution. Um, you also look at the cornerstone speech by the vice president of the Confederacy, Alexander Stevens, who said the cornerstone of our new society is the understanding that black people are not equal to white people and that their natural condition is to be a laboring force, as opposed to what Jefferson said, which is that we've got this bad system of of slavery, but it's going to go away eventually. Stevens says, no, this is the foundation. So no matter how you look at it, Everybody in the White South is saying
0: that that slavery is the foundation of our society. You mentioned that you had gotten negative feedback from that YouTube video that you created. How much face-to-face negative feedback or pushback do you get, or is it something that that people need that distance of uh, a computer screen in order to make this position for you?
1: Since I've done the uh, the book, uh, I have it's mainly social media. Though occasionally, you know, there's somebody that I, I, somebody was featured on Steve Bannon's War Room. Some uh, somebody some uh, Uh, journalists, quote-unquote journalists, you know, called me a weasel over and over and over again on the air. Um, So I get that written, but most of it is not face-to-face because I think I have the facts and I, uh, you know, I'm an apostate. I'm somebody who used to believe that Lee was the greatest human and now I think he chose treason to preserve slavery. And the facts, I think, just back me up so much. So mainly it's online or it's by phone. Most people don't want to confront me in person. Occasionally, but it's almost it's tentative when they do it. They don't come full throated,
0: and you can tell I do. Have you ever had a chance to interact with anybody where you point out like what um, Alexander Stevens said, and then they have to address that face to face?
1: Yeah, I, I have said that,
0: and I, I, when I gave a talk at Washington, and Lee,
1: there were some some of the flaggers, and flaggers are people that believe that you should put Confederate flags up everywhere, and they think that they're they're often talk about the heritage, and you know as I say that, listen, the heritage. Of the confederacy is racism the heritage of the confederacy is slavery that's not a heritage that we should have look at your people that that look at your ancestors that fought in world war one or world war ii these are americans who fought for their country who fought for what we love of this country and that's the other thing i do i love my country i'm a patriot i fought I, I, i served in uniform for nearly 36 years but i like people that fight for the united
0: states of america
1: not those who fought against it to try to destroy this country that i love
0: I'd like to take a moment to reintroduce my guest. Ty Sidgley is a retired brigadier general in the U.S. Army, professor emeritus of history at West Point and professor of history at Hamilton College. He's on the FGCU campus today for the university lecture series to talk about his book, Robert E. Lee and Me, A Southerner's Reckoning with the Myth of the Lost Cause. We invite you to engage with the show using WGCU social media. Find us on Facebook and on Twitter. So you were the vice chair of the Naming Commission, uh, which was formed in 20. 20- 2021. Can you explain what that was and the work that you did? And as I understand it, it just wrapped up.
1: It did. So I was uh, there was a commission that was created by Congress um, to change the names of the nine bases uh, named after Confederates in the South. And uh, this was vetoed by Trump because he wanted to keep the name of Robert E. Lee and others that that these posts were named after. And the Senate and Congress overwhelmingly um, overrode that veto by supermajority. So it was the American people that really demanded this. And so we went and visited all these posts, and then eventually— um, with the input from the from these communities, both on on the posts and off posts, we renamed or uh, the nine posts, and then found eleven more than 1,100 things named for Confederates, and then recommended to the Secretary of Defense that he change those. And he has accepted all of our recommendations. So a place like Fort Benning is going to be named Fort Moore after Hal Moore, who was famous for the in the movie We Were Soldiers. That's the one with Mel Gibson. But he's also for his wife, who started casualty Notification to ensure that somebody, that a family member or a a, a uniformed person, let family members know whether their husband or or loved one was a casualty rather than a telegram from a cab driver. Uh, We've also named these after the first four star Latino who who served at what was Fort Hood will be Fort Cavazos. And we've named these after true American heroes who will serve as an inspiration to the soldiers who served there and I think to all Americans.
0: Was there any pushback uh, locally at the different bases?
1: What's amazing to me is there was pushback initially until we told them what we were doing, that, that the law was going to change and that we wanted their input. And amazingly, since we have done the uh, the recommendations and the Secretary of Defense has agreed to them, there has not been one politician on either side of the aisle at the local, state, or federal level who has complained about it at all. So I think this is a huge, hopeful story for all Americans that we're going to rename these things after true American heroes, inspirational stories, and the, the vast majority of the American people agree with it and their elected representatives
0: are fine with it. Were these bases named after Confederate? figures later than you might expect, much like the monuments and things that are also later than you might expect?
1: Great point. So they were named in World War I and World War II when the army was segregated, when the South was a one-party racial police state. The Democrats controlled it completely. uh, And the only way that the, the army could, the army needed support, and the president Presidents needed support, and they wanted to make sure they appeased these these uh, segregationists. So they were named World War I and World War II. I would also tell you that they're named after terrible people who were terrible generals. Uh, Fort Polk in Louisiana, Polk was maybe the worst general on either side. And one historian said that the worst cannon shot that the U.S. Army ever took was the one that killed Polk who was a Confederate, because if he'd stayed alive, the war would have lasted at less time. So there was war criminals, the ones who, um, Pickett, who uh, executed 23 U.S. Army soldiers summarily and skedaddled to Canada because he thought he was going to be charged as a war criminal. So these were terrible people, and we're going to name them after inspirational, just great
0: American heroes. You know, um, there was a bust of Robert E. Lee in downtown Fort Myers that seemed like it had been there forever. And back in 2020 and 2021, there was a great big pushback against it during the, you know, the wake of the George Floyd murder and all of that. And it was then only for me who grew up in Fort Myers that I learned that it had been put there in the 1960s. And people still really fought hard to keep it up. It's now been brought down. But uh, that's just a, a great example of this kind of thing that's, you know, that we don't understand. Yeah, that well, was Mike, us. some
1: people say that I'm changing history. No, uh, it's changing commemoration. Commemoration is about your values. A history, at West Point, they're going to teach the Battle of Chancellorsville, and Lee is going to win. He's going to beat Hooker every year. But statues are about commemoration. And if you talk about a 1960s statue of Lee, it's often a result of, of a protest against integration. Or you put these, these Confederate monuments in front of a courthouse, when at that period when they were put up, black people could go into that courthouse as a custodian and a defendant, And that's it. So these don't represent the values of America that I love, the America that I fought for. They represent the values of a failed insurrection that wanted to keep black people in enslavement, men, women and children uh, forever.
0: Um, not only did we have the Robert E. Lee bust, but at the board of county commissioners, behind the the where they all sit, there was a giant portrait of Robert E. Lee that sat there for almost ninety years until just fairly recently, too.
1: Yeah, and and I again is the, that's commemoration; it's not history. By removing that, you're still going to study Robert E. Lee history. That's not what it is, but commemoration is about your values. And does this county, does Fort Myers, is that who they want to uh, represent? I know that there is a Medal of Honor recipient from. Lee County, uh, who uh, was a helicopter—I don't know if it's a helicopter pilot or a fighter pilot, a Navy in uh, in Vietnam. Boy, wouldn't it be great to have a portrait of the Medal of Honor recipient
0: from this area in that courthouse? That that would be inspirational to, to me. Um, as somebody who served your country for decades, um, what was it like to see the Confederate battle flag in the Capitol? Um, on January 6th. Oh my
1: gosh, I, the, it's the flag of treason, as I call it. it. It it made me want to put the uniform back on, <laughs> but I will tell you that as it went by, it went by Charles Sumner. That was the person it went by. Sumner was beaten with a cane to the inch of his life because he he said terrible things about slave owners. Um, and then he came back five years later after traumatic brain injury, and he wrote an oath. The oath he wrote, which is that it forced all people in the Senate to take, is the same oath that anybody who has served in the military to this day, to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. That oath that everyone in the military took is actually an anti-Confederate oath. When it says enemies domestic is talking about the Confederates. So that oath that I took and gave for so many people is an anti-Confederate oath. And it, when, it, when I saw that Confederate flag go by Charles Sumner, I just I, it made me so angry that something that does not represent the values of the America I love was there in the people's house.
0: Um, did your epiphany in writing this book, has it changed the way you look at the world?
1: Well, it it has, but some of it is very hopeful. Many of the things that I wrote about, all the Confederate monuments I wrote about, all the things about uh, whether it's Lee or other Confederates, Almost all of them will have changed. I, I finished writing in 2019. It took a year to, for the whole book to come out. After that, almost everything I wrote is going to have changed. The monuments in Richmond are down. Hmm. All the everything in the Department of Defense is is gone. Lee Barracks at West Point will be gone at the end of this year. So almost so much of it has changed. It gives me great hope that Americans are realizing that we have so many heroes in this country that we should have make sure that those are the ones that fought for their country. So I have great hope about that. and I've also been it's been great to be able to come down to Lee County named after Robert E. Lee and to say, you know, it's not my job to tell you Lee County what you should do about that, but you should understand what it's about. It, it is the local decision to change or to not change. Not saying it is anybody else's, but you should know what that name represents and that when it was named, I think it was 1880s or 1885 when Lee County was named. What does that mean and what does that mean to you today?
0: When you were writing this book and researching for it, could you have imagined that so much would have changed in just the few years after it came out?
1: Blew me away, could not even imagine that those statues in Richmond would have come down, that the names of the bases, I wanted to change the bases. One of the reasons why I retired from the military was so that I would have the freedom to be able to talk about these things in the, the military names and the others. It absolutely floors me because, you know, I think it was Winston Churchill that said, you can count on Americans to do the right thing, after they've exhausted all other avenues or all other attempts. But I'm I I'm really hopeful about that. You know, James Baldwin once said, um, the great black writer, that um, he loves his country more than any other, and that's why he must criticize her. So people that criticize their country, it's not because they don't love their country, it's because they do love their country and they wanna make sure that it gets better. So I am very hopeful that the number of things that have changed to reflect uh, what we
0: Americans value today. Did you write this book and explain how you had one mindset and then accepted another mindset? Is that the best way to show other people that it's possible? Because as you know, it's really hard to admit you're wrong about anything, especially something as deep and fundamental as this.
1: Yes, so wrong, I was wrong, wrong, wrong. Uh, I was absolutely wrong. And by saying my own story, by, by being vulnerable enough to say I was the one that was wrong, I'm hoping that other people will know, listen, it just makes you uncomfortable. But that's okay. That's what we as humans can do. We can change, every, we can change to, the moment, from the, to the moment we die. We have the ability to change the way we're thinking. And that's what I love about this country, uh, in addition to loving about people, is that they can change. I changed. And because I changed, I'm a more empathetic person. It made me a better leader in the Army. It makes me a better teacher in the classroom. And I think it makes me a better person uh, because I have changed. And now I understand the history of, the, of this country. And I understand myself better. it it just, it makes me more empathetic about my other, my fellow Americans.
0: Uh, Last question. Are you working on a next book?
1: I am. I am working on another book. I'm working on a book about when Richard Nixon came to West Point and ordered them to put up a uh, Confederate monument there in 1971. And the black cadets found out about it. Uh, They nearly mutinied and uh, uh, they changed everything at West Point. They recognized that there was a problem with racism there and the entire army changed. So created a system of dealing with the problems of racism in the army and they eventually put on a uh, they put on a a show a a a concert uh, to raise money for sickle cell anemia research featuring stevie wonder and the supremes so i'm going to tell that story about those black cadets 50 years ago uh, and how they changed not only west point but they changed the army and and i think helped change the nation
0: all right. Ty Sigley is a retired U.S. Army Brigadier General, Professor Emeritus of History at West Point, and a professor of history at Hamilton College in upstate New York. We've been talking about his book, Robert E. Lee and Me, A Southerner's Reckoning with the Myth of the Lost Cause. General Sigley, thank you so much for taking some oh, time.
1: Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. I had a great time.
0: General Sigley was on campus last week for the university lecture series that was hosted and moderated by Florida Gulf Coast University President Dr. Mike Martin. If you missed any of today's show, you can always hear episodes in their entirety on our website, wgcu.org slash gcl, or wherever you find podcasts. Our show today was produced by yours truly. Our director today is Jared Gonzalez. Our social media coordinator is Tara Calligan. For now, thank you for listening. I'm Mike Connery. This is WGCU-FM. Fort Myers 90.1 WMKO Marco Island 91.7 FM NPR for Southwest Florida.